What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Darius Dale is the founder and CEO of 42 Macro, the leading macro risk management advisor. In this conversation, we talk about what's going on in the macro economy, what's happening in the financial markets, how Darius is looking at various metrics, and also what you at home should be thinking about as you invest your capital. I really enjoyed this conversation with Darius, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all of your devices, making it easier to send, receive, and exchange over 150 or more crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. But the fun doesn't stop with staking and trading. They recently launched a new NFT marketplace where you can buy and sell your favorite NFTs on the Solana network. By partnering with the popular NFT platform, Magic Eden, they're offering the full Monty on verified collections with more added every single day. Ready to check it out for yourself? Run, don't walk over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, if you want the world's leading desktop, mobile and hardware crypto wallet, go to exodus.com slash pomp today. Today's episode is sponsored by Abra. They're based in California, and they're backed by top VC firms. Abra is an all-in-one, simple, secure app that allows you to trade over 110 cryptocurrencies, get 0% interest loans using your crypto as collateral, and earn interest with up to 13% APY on stablecoins and 7.15% APY on Bitcoin. You can join nearly 2 million users by downloading Abra from the Google Play or Apple App Store. If you download the app today, you will get $15 in free crypto once you fund your account. You came, you invested, now conquer. Abra, conquer crypto. Go check it out today. This episode is brought to you by DeFi Technologies. DeFi Technologies represents what's next in the digital economy. They're providing simplified, trusted access to crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. DeFi Technologies is currently listed on the U.S. exchange at DEFTF stock ticker and the Canadian NEO exchange at DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at DeFi.tech. I'm really excited about what these guys are doing. I've become an advisor to the business, and I highly suggest you go check them out. Go to their website at defi.tech today. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. What the hell is going on? Uh, pick, pick your topic, man. We All right, inflation. Let's, just, going get, let's on. just jump right in. 7.9, how off is it? Uh, so it's. I think 7.9 is the wrong number to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, well, if you don't eat and you don't use energy, it's only 6.4. So like exactly. That's <laughs> Oh, exactly. No, the problem with inflation, right? I've said this last week, which is we continue to build momentum. It's not just that the numbers are coming in high. 7.9 is obviously a very ridiculous number in and of itself. But if you look at it on a, a momentum basis, if you look at take the month over month percent change and annualize that to get to, you know, what a approximate year over year figure would be, it's 10%. 
inflation's effectively running at 10% and would otherwise be in a, in a vacuum outside of base effects. And so the Fed is not only losing the battle on inflation, you can make, a, you can make an effective case that it has already lost the battle on inflation. And what I mean by that is that every high inflation print between now and let's call it the middle of this year, they're going, it's going to cause them to make uh, incrementally tighter decision to, to, or incremental decision to tighten policy faster or further. Okay, so they inflation is 7.9%. Everyone agrees on that in terms of official numbers. Yeah. Unofficial is much higher. Yeah. The Federal Reserve is sitting in there staring at this and say, okay, we got inflation problems. We obviously have the Russia-Ukraine conflict that's going on. There's sanctions. There's exploding commodity prices. Like, they, they got they got a, 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 um, a view of the playing field. They got a lot of stuff on their plate. Uh, it's Thanksgiving for the What are their options <laughs> of what they could do? What are the tools? Is yeah. it just interest rates and contraction or uh, expansion of the money supply, and that's pretty much it? Yeah, so the Fed at any given time, like, outside of, like, you know, attacking a, a foreign entity or something like that, they only only have three tools. It's the policy rate, it's the balance sheet, and it's forward guidance. Um, you know, I think the most important forward guidance that we've gotten in recent weeks was, you know, during Powell's testimony last week where he got his feet held to the fire by, I want to say, uh, Senator Durbin or Shelby in, in Alabama talking about the Fed's resolve to, you know, kind of combat inflation and, and really, you know, kind of uh, defend the Fed's credibility on price stability. And, and effect, you know, Powell basically said, yeah, we're, we'll do what it takes. Um, and to me, I think the markets are underpricing that kind of draggy moment, if you will. So if you go back to 2012, um, you know, when the European sovereign debt crisis was at a, sort of at its peak or, you know, European growth expectations were at their nadir, uh, then ECB president Mario Draghi came out and said, hey, we'll do whatever it takes to protect the euro and, and maintain, um, you know, sound banking, you know, for the for the continent. And that those words are arguably the most powerful words in central banking history because it effectively ended the crisis. It told everyone that, hey, look, the ECB is going to backstop all this sovereign debt. This it's a, None of these uh, peripheral countries are going to default. And to me, you, you kind of go back and I, I'm blanking on the quote, but Powell basically, you know, said we'll do whatever it takes last week. And I think markets are very much underappreciating that as it relates to the Fed's resolve to tighten policy. So we're in for a world of hurt, in our opinion. How bad can it get? Will we see a 10% official number, or will they manipulate it and pull stuff out to Ooh, make sure we don't get That's there? a good question. Well, so it, look, if we stay at this pace, we will see a 10% official number in a matter of months. And that's the problem. And so the problem Can we is- we see it next month, given how fast oil has exploded upwards and some of these other commodities? Yeah, I mean, you could. Well, you, you mean, yeah, we could see it in March. Is, is the, yeah, yeah, you're the absolutely Mar right. The March number could come in at 10%. You're absolutely right. So the February number, again, we're talking about February inflation prints. The energy uh, inflation was uh, annualized at 51%. And so that probably is going to double in March. And so we could very much see something that looks like 10% inflation. So- Again, that, I mean, the, the, the Fed is, they're, they're toast. I mean, they, they, whatever financial stability mandate they have or whatever inclination you might have thought as an investor that they're going to protect risk assets or protect growth, protect the economy, I think you have to throw those out the window. And the sooner you throw them out the window, the more likely it is you're going to not lose a lot of money. Joe Biden says that uh, the February inflation numbers uh, proved the cost of sanctions, but the sanctions didn't happen until like the last three days of oh February and March. Uh, what do you think about that? Oh, my God. Don't get me started with the politicians now. It's like, oh, well, it's all sanctions in the Russia war in Ukraine. Like, these are February data points. <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? You like, mean the inflation couldn't tell the future? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, know I know, dude. I, but look, they, they, this is the problem with politicians, right? 
they are still living in the newspaper radio era where they think we're all uneducated and uninformed. But obviously, thanks to programs like this, programs, you know, services like mine and, and just general knowledge in, on the Internet <laughs> and, and, and to, be, you know, to begin with, we're not as dumb as they think we are. People are pissed off. I think there's a zero, the serious sight, guys. I can see it in all the statistics. Consumer confidence is rancid right now. And we are, we are talking about an cons- economy that is, you know, most recent GDP print is a 7% growing economy. It's, you know, three times our, our, our potential growth rate. And people are pissed off. What happens when they're pissed off and we slow back to trend or, or below trend, you know, as, we, as our models project for the, you know, in the second half of this year? And so this is a big problem. I don't see how we get out of this very easily. And sometimes there's not always an easy answer, right? If they raise interest rates, is it pretty much a guarantee we'll go into a recession? Uh, I think it's a guarantee we're going into a recession regardless. I mean, you, okay. we've done enough damage to consumer confidence, to real incomes, um, that we're probably going to go into a recession regardless. And this is something I said a few weeks ago. Remember, we're, we're probably going to have two choices as investors, and really the Fed has two choices. G- allow the economy to go into recession because inflation destroys will incomes and confidence enough to cause a decline in, in purchasing power and ultimately decline in, in the, you know, the, the quantity of goods and services that are purchased? Or do you send the economy into recession because you're, you know, you're clawing back some of the credibility you lost on the inflation and price stability front? I happen to think the Fed is more likely to choose scenario B over scenario A because scenario A is that's kind of the death knell for the central bank. You know, if your whole, you know, if you're here to prevent things like recessions and financial crises, you know, if you, if you can't prevent that, you lose your entire credibility whatsoever. And I don't think the Fed is willing to risk that, at least it's not my indication, or they haven't given us any indication that they're willing to risk that. As we head into a recession, what do you think will actually play out in terms of uh, risk assets like tech stocks, et cetera? I've already sold off a lot. Is there still like 50% more to go? What do you think of other types of assets as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me be clear, like recession, we're, we're nowhere near a recession now. You know, this economy is still growing well above potential. The problem is the speed of the decline from growing well above potential to growing something that's below trend is accelerating. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already had that as a pretty, pretty sharp decel starting in the, in, you know, kind of middle of the part of this year. But that pretty sharp decel could actually, it looks like it's going to be faster now. And so um, as it relates to, to asset prices, you know, it seems like we're only, and I hate to use the word seems like, but, you know, there's really not too many perfect corollaries to what we're experiencing. I mean, you can sort of cite the 1970s um, as it relates to, 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 you know, you know, the, the, the response of asset markets to what we're experiencing today. I happen to think where we are today is somewhere between, it's a hybrid between the 2000 and 2002 unwind of the tech bubble and the 2018 experience where the Fed was sort of tightening, tightening, tightening and didn't realize the economy was slowing. And ultimately the markets had to tell the Fed to back off. And I think you merge that experience, you know, Q418 with kind of the unwind of that the tech bubble. And I think that's where we are today. Yeah. What questions you guys got? We obviously can't tell, uh, regardless of what people say, what the sanctions did to the last month's numbers. But <laughs> <laughs> now that they are implemented, what impact do you think that they'll have on next month's numbers? See, th- this, is, this is the tricky part. Markets have front run the sanctions, particularly physical commodities, right? And so there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of financialization in the physical commodity space, anticipating supply shortages across, you know, tin, nickel, tin, aluminum, copper, wheat, pick your, pick your commodity, obviously crude oil. And so it's how much of the sanctions effectively been priced in is the question. I, I, I'm not, I don't think anybody's smart enough to be quite frank, but I'm certainly not smart enough to understand that. You know, so the problem is, it's not just, will commodity prices continue to go higher, you know, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the feedback mechanism to higher reported inflation. 
But the, I think the feedback mechanism to the economy and to the markets, you don't need commodity prices to go higher. If they just stay at this price, it is a you know drag on real incomes, certainly relative to the outlook and relative to the expectation. And but you know it's it's a drag on your budget. I mean, you go fill. I mean, I have rich people texting me receipts from their filling up their cars yeah. at, at the gas station. People who are very well off, you know. So you can only imagine what the pain is like out there for for low to median income households. I mean, it's pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, it, it, this sounds really bad, but it almost is like sport. Yeah. Right. Where like literally, I think I've seen them online. People are posting them and there's some people who are saying, hey, send them to me and I'll post the biggest ones or whatever. And people yeah. are like hunting for the highest price gasoline yeah. to like prove it. Seven, eight bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I want to say like, this is like 2008, but I think it's, it's a little bit more scary than 2008. One, the speed of the change is faster. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have this chart in our, in our slide deck where we take the two year change in the Brent crude oil price. Um, and you know, anytime you're basically above 150% on that percentage change, you know, you're walking into a recession. There's been one notable outlier going back to, you know, kind of the seventies. This is the fastest two year change. We're like up at like 200 plus percent. You know, it's like the highest peak of that, in that analysis. So not only are you likely to get a recession as a function of this, you're more likely to get something that looks like more of a structural bear market as a function as well. John, what do you got? What are you seeing or are you suggesting retail investors do with commodity prices already so high? The sediment and confidence is really far down and a recession's looming. So like, what does a retail investor do? Yeah, so this, this is, is, is really does matter about the kind of track you've taken to get here. Like if you, if you, there's two types of investors right now. Ones who probably, you know, risk managed, you know, December, January a little bit better have a little bit more cash and can start to be a little bit more selective. I don't think this is the time to be selective, <laughs> but I think if you're a long-term investor and like your favorite name or your favorite digital asset is on sale, this is where you'd start the, the, the DCA. But again, I don't think that's the average investor. I mean, with the statistics we look at, you know, if, for instance, you know, one uh, thing we track is sort of, um, you know, kind of asset class ownership on, on the household balance sheet. And um, if you look at uh, household equity ownership, for instance, you know, at, as a percentage of total net worth, that's around 30%, just off of 30%. That's an all-time high by like 500 basis points. And so it, the, the median, the, the average investor is as long stocks, and, and I'm assuming because they're correlated, as long digital assets as they've been as a share of the overall net worth ever. And so there's not a lot of people who have cash to start buying dips right now. And that, that is the problem for the market. If you were the Fed, what do you do? Uh, if I'm the Fed, I send the economy into recession, gain some credibility, and set us up for a good 2023. You just this is this year's a wash. You just, you just throw in the flag. It, well, it's not even throwing in the flag. It's punting. I mean, you, you're football. You are football guys. Like it's punt, you're punting. You're, this is the Fed is if they don't like. You, there's, there's two choices. You can be uh, what's my man in San Diego uh, who always goes up forward and fourth down. You can be <laughs> that guy and out of the playoffs. Or you can punt the ball and, and, and you know, live to fight another day. And I, I think punting the ball equates to, you know, engineering a slowdown in the economy. And, and it's not just our economy. The Fed can take crude oil from $130 a barrel to $65 a barrel overnight if it wanted to. Take the policy rate up 500 basis points and see what happens. They don't want to do that, obviously. They don't want big changes because big changes tend to scare people and you get all these side effects as it relates to, um, you know, credit intermediation um, all this, you know, hypothesis. There's there's a lot of side effects in the financial plumbing of it all. So what what, what do they end up doing? Do they just raise interest rates to like? They're going to try to three three hundred basis points. I think three percent. Yeah, no, they're. I don't think they're going to get that far. The problem is again, we the the Fed is starting this tightening process too late in the business cycle. And well, what I mean to be by, clear, yeah. we're at 
8% CPI. They haven't raised rates at all. And they were literally buying assets like two weeks ago. Like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I know. These guys are doing QE like two weeks ago, dude. Yeah. I, it's fine. It's, did, the Fed did QE for nine months while inflation was above 5%. I know. When, 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 I'm sure I'll write a book that's at some point. A, that's a great tweet. Career. Somebody should fire this, that one off. That's a freebie uh, for somebody out there. Totally. <laughs> like, uh, the, the start of my book will be, yeah, and the Fed was buying bonds like two weeks <laughs> into this, you know, like two weeks ahead of this. Like, so yeah, no, my, my point is, so they're going to try to walk a fine line, right? The Fed doesn't want to spook anybody. They certainly don't want to um, upset what's priced into markets from a policy tightening standpoint. So they're going to do the 25 basis points. Maybe they'll talk up if, hey, if Russia, Ukraine goes well, we'll do 50 basis points in May or we'll do 50 basis points in June. But the reality is, as long as inflation momentum stays elevated, the probability that that 50 basis points in May gets solidified and then it's 50 basis points in June that gets solidified, those probabilities start to go up. And so it's increasingly looking like the Fed might have to front load a lot of tightening as a function of being so behind the curve on inflation, so behind the curve as it relates to the economy. This is the lowest the unemployment rate's ever been prior to the Fed lifting uh, interest rates ever in the history of the Fed funds rate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a, there's, you know, there's a saying on Wall Street that the Fed, you know, tends to cause an accident when it, when it tightens policy. It usually tightens until it breaks something. Uh, it breaks something in financial markets or it breaks something in, in the real economy. The Fed is definitely going to break something because the probability of them breaking something is as high as it's ever so been high, because yeah. they're so late in this process. You know, imagine like- um, why, why did we get here? Like, why, why didn't they do something earlier? Because was they- Was it arrogance? Ignorance? No, well, well two, there's a couple of reasons. I think, I'm so glad you said arrogance. And, and um, you know, certain, myself as a professional forecaster, I think I would consider myself and everybody who does this for a living, we all need to eat a little bit of humble pie. Nobody got this inflation call right. I mean, with the exception, I think Jim Bianco, I don't think he had forecast, but he certainly, um, he had a view that inflation would be stickier and persistent. I remember that back in the summer where a lot of folks didn't. Uh, but generally speaking, nobody nobody saw 7.9% inflation six, nine months ago. Mm-hmm. Nobody saw 5% inflation nine, 12 months ago. You know, so the reality is we all got this wrong, but the problem is we're not setting policy. You know, the Fed is setting policy on its forecasts, which are obviously wrong by a double. And so that's a problem. So arrogance is a factor in terms of transitory, but the real factor of why they're so late is because they made themselves that they chose to be late. Go back to the fall of 2020 when they changed their um, their inflation target, their inflation mandate, basically to an average inflation targeting scheme, which means instead of saying 2% is the ceiling on inflation, we're comfortable having inflation average 2%, uh, the core PC specifically. So they changed that. And the reason they changed that was the real change that matters. They, you know, they kind of adopted a woke framework, to be quite frank. You know, this, this sort of this concept of maximum and inclusive employment um, really stemmed from, you know, kind of the wake of the George Floyd protests, all this stuff. And the Fed realized after having done a lot of research, and this is something I've, I've been talking about my whole career, which is the Fed always takes the punch bowl away when, you know, the economy starts getting good for disaffected groups, African-Americans yep. to Hispanics. You know, those are typically, you know, those people typically have higher unemployment rates. They, they, the, their unemployment rates go down usually after, you know, whites and, 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 and Asians and stuff like that. So I think the Fed wanted to do something to address this kind of zeitgeist of America back in that, in that particular time frame, And they, what they said was, Hey, look, we're going to ease policy until we see the whites of the eyes of, of the lowest unemployment rate ever for these particular groups. And they actually did that. And they did that. And they made a lot of real substantial progress in Q4 in particular for females, for the, you know, for folks without high school diplomas, all this stuff. And so they got what they wanted, but the problem is they had to keep easing and go crazy and go ham mm-hmm. with balance sheet and 0% interest rates to get that done. And now we're dealing with the consequences. 
th- th- there's uh, this belief that uh, the numbers are inaccurate, I think is a, a fair way to say it. Yeah. Uh, we pulled up earlier that the current shelter uh, inflation number makes up 33% of the CPI. It's like 4 and 8, 4.8%. 4.7, 4.8% year over year growth. But rents are up 18% nationally, <laughs> and home prices are up 19% nationally. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, so I, I maybe I just do bad math. But if rents and home prices are up more, you know, three times more than what they're saying, where's everybody living where it's only 4.7%? I mean, I guess they're surveying, you know, the, the 10 cities of San Francisco. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> but which, by the way, San Francisco that. spent like uh, yeah. like two hundred thousand dollars per tent or something like that on uh, uh, more than my apartment costs. The, the <laughs> <laughs> I should probably move to San Francisco. Yeah, but but, uh, but but when you think about uh, the numbers, like we joke around a lot, but like four point seven, four point eight percent is the official number. The national average of rent is up eighteen percent. The national average of home sales is up nineteen percent. How do they get to 4.7? So here's here's how they get to 4.7. It's it's you can I don't know if it's nefarious or not, but I suspect because it's the government and the government is incentivized to report lower inflation statistics, I think it's reasonable to assume there is some nefariousness going on. But here's how there's the reason there's such a um, disconnect. The way they survey um, houses in the BLS survey, particularly owners equivalent to rent, which is you know two or three three fourths of, of shelter CPI. Uh, you know, they, they sort of have these panels where they ask house A, you know, is your, what's your rent? And then they don't survey house A for another six months. And then so in order to get like a true inflation statistic, it takes like a full year for you to understand like, hey, like there's, there's some been rental inflation. So that process is very slow in terms of repricing rents higher and lower to both to the downside. You know, we had a big, big tail, a big headwind for inflation for an extended period of time after the financial crisis because that process was working in reverse after the housing bubble burst. So it just is what it is. Um, we all think, I think we all can feel it, see it in our rents. You know, we can see it in cost of utilities. We can see it in cost of getting a contract or even being able to get building supplies or anything like that. That inflation is much higher. Um, we'll see that inflation come down as shelter CPI is likely to continue accelerating though. So at some point, all that yeah. stuff will peak. You know, let's call it six from months from now. But shelter CPI will still be slowly rising as a function of that 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 the technical process. It's um, it's just crazy to me. It is crazy that we're making decisions based on bad data. It's very obvious it's bad data. Uh, and so, what is the impact on like any of the election stuff? Is it just a foregone conclusion we're going to have, you know, I don't know, six, seven percent inflation going into an election season and like there's likely to be massive turnover in existing politicians getting voted out? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're around six percent for September, which is the last print you're going to get uh, for before the for the election. So it's going to be a problem. I mean, look, we know the Democrats were toasting the elections going back to November when we got the October CPI, when that jumped up to six percent. Like that just put the kibosh on the whole Democratic agenda. And obviously that agenda is, 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 is partially why they got a lot of them got elected. And so they're going to get the boot. Um, I don't think the Republicans probably have a good answer to deal with this either. But the reality is the guys who are in, currently in charge are going to take the, bear the brunt of the uh, consequences. I asked my brothers earlier, do we get $15 gasoline or $15 federal mandated minimum wage first? Oh, uh, no, we're not getting $15 gasoline. They're, they're, that, that, that. 
What was the national average now? Like four seventy five or something like that. I saw eight somewhere. Oh yeah, that, no. that's only. Yeah, it was, it was like four. No, no, no. The, the national average is the national yeah, average. Yeah, the national, the national average. average will get to fifteen. Yeah. But uh, but do we see a fifteen? Oh, do we see a fifteen handle somewhere? Yeah, somewhere in the, in the United States. Outside. Okay. Uh, can we caveat this? So n- excluding like hurricanes or anything yeah, yeah, yeah. in particular no, places. Just, like just, just yeah. Just in this current trajectory, will, yes. we, will someone pop that up? I sincerely like gotta, hope there, not. There's definitely somewhere somebody is realizing, oh, this is bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we saw, I mean, what is it, a week, two weeks, the right? Problem is, the problem with $15 gasoline, though, it's like you can't get $15 gasoline in one particular place because it's more likely that you'll have a bunch of 11s and 12s in a geographic location than at 115 and a bunch of anything less. You know, it's kind of getting spread out. Refiners are, you ever gone people to who drive corner? aren't that stupid. You've, you ever gone to a street corner, like one guy's at, you know, it used to be like, 240 the other guy's at 199 you're I, like i turn the car how around. does this happen yeah I, I, 100% happen? of the time absolutely <laughs> <laughs> totally why would you you have like we, you can't work in financial markets and be someone who's constantly concerned about prices of securities and assets and be dumb enough to, to be, <laughs> put more expensive gas in your car across the street from a place that sells it at a lesser price you're, you have to be some kind of like rich connecticut asshole to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true true yeah. true uh, what do you think about the U.S. going and basically begging Venezuela and Saudi now for oil? I think it's a, a national embarrassment, and this is a this is a real problem. Like Venezuela. Right? This is this is the real problem, right? Our reaction to the, the Russia invasion of Ukraine, in terms of the aggressiveness of SWIFT and all of this, and kicking them off the dollar uh, settling system and everything like that. One, China can observe the nature of our reactions and start to build. You know contingencies for they probably aren't going to hold things. that many dollars now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, exactly. They're, they're shifting to gold, but the, China was going to do the same thing to Taiwan at some point in this century. It could be n- this year, it could be next year. Who knows when it's going to be, right? But they're or going, in their three hundred year plan or hundred yeah, year plan. Totally, yeah. they're yeah. definitely going to do the same thing to Taiwan. So China's right now taking notes about, hey, this is what they're going to try to do. So let's make contingencies now to prepare for those things. But the second problem is, if you're a bad actor in the world, now you know the blueprint. Well, there's an inflation problem in the, you know, so let me make it worse and do my bad thing. I'll make the inflation problem worse. And eventually these people have to kowtow to me in order to get the raw materials that, that, that they did, they, they demand. Did, did Putin, is he playing chess? Like did, did oh, he, did he realize that, Hey, if I do this, they're going to sanction me. And if they sanction me, then like, this is going to basically like take what is kind of a small fire economically in the United States. And I'm going to just like set the whole forest on fire. No, I, I don't think he's, that's like, next level chess times a million. No, I don't think he's, I I think he was taken, I think the whole world was taken aback by how aggressive the response was Mm -hmm. and how unified and coordinated the response was. Because don't forget, Europe gets, you know, what, 20, 30% of its energy from Russia. Um, No, I think Putin was playing chess in, I'm going to wait till I see seven, seven and a half percent inflation in the US, oil pushing a hundred dollars a barrel and then do this and then make it worse so that we can't get those sanctions, so that mm-hmm. they, they're, they're less likely to give those sanctions. I think he was shocked by how stringent the sanctions are, but now he could, he's regrouping and saying, hey, well, look, if I'm going down, everybody's going down, and that's kind mm-hmm. of his thoughts Yeah, on I mean, this he war. could continue this out for a long period of time, right? And we could, we could these sanctions might not change. Yeah. yeah, well, Putin, so this, Putin and Russia are two very different things, right? Yeah. Putin's a, a guy barking orders, and Russia's an economy that needs resources to function. Um. So, yeah, I mean, he can certainly continue this for way longer than anybody who's lever long risk assets can can uh, can can maintain those positions without getting margin called. Um, so that that's that's the problem. So I, I think Putin's regrouping and saying, hey, look, well, this is a new dawn, new era. 
they are they have jumped the shark. I've jumped the shark, and there's no going back from this, right? You can't go back from this, really. Um, I, I just I think the, we've we've crossed too much. We've crossed the Rubicon, and, and unfortunately, people love using war as almost an excuse to print a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Is that are we too far and too close to a recession right now to just go ahead and print a bunch of money and fund a entire war? Uh, no, I think that would be an optimal solution. Um, you know, certainly you're going to hear more talk of that if we once we start to get real data that the economy is slowing down. Like, don't forget, like PMIs globally are still like at 58. You know, these are real high numbers. 50 is like the dividing line. You know, they're still very high. You know, global GDP, Europe six percent, U.S. seven percent. Like, we're still. If you look backwards, growth is phenomenal. It's as good as it's been in many, many, many years. But looking forward, you know, folks like myself who make forecasts or anybody with a brain can see that the economy is going to slow. And so, again, it's all about the pace of an economy, economic slowdown. But once we get that slowdown confirmed, um, it's very likely that we're going to get more talk. And this is kind of one thing that's um, bounced markets this week, bounced Bitcoin, bounced crypto, um, uh, going back to, to, to yeah, uh, bounced on Tuesday and, and Wednesday, which is the Europe's effectively talking about issuing a, a tremendous amount of debt you know, like on the order of like 2 trillion euro or $2 trillion. I'm not sure if it's euro dollars, but a lot of money to basically finance the acceleration of their green uh, infrastructure agenda, acceleration of defense spending. And so that's the kind of thing that one is obviously positive for growth, but it's also more inflationary. Where are you going to get the additional supply, the physical resources to do all this stuff? Where you get the additional workers? That's a big problem. Well, they're going to build windmills, and then when the wind shuts off, they're going to complain. But, oh, God, we (laughs) maybe should have just drilled for oil and built nuclear power plants. Yeah. I don't understand the the thing about nuclear. That that blows my mind. Uh, Why are we not doing nuclear power plants at this point? (laughs) Well, it's because everyone heard one time that there was a nuclear power plant leak, and they don't understand any of the details, and they are scared about it. What did Uh, Musk say? He'll go there and eat eat food that was grown locally in the soil. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. He said, I've already done it. (laughs) He said, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I mean, it's all all nonsense. The the other thing, too, is I I talked to – a group recently that uh, they put an application in to get approved to build a nuclear plant and uh, got denied. Oh, wow. And and I was like, how much of this is like real stuff versus, uh, you know, the um, just bureaucracy? Like, yeah. It's all bureaucracy, right? So, um, and, and so if you think about it, by the way, if we start today, we won't be energy independent for 24 months, you know, maybe even longer or yeah. whatever. Uh, but, but I did see... Um, <laughs> I did see a uh, uh, CNN segment that was just like laugh out loud funny. They were trying to explain how uh, the United States uh, is not a net importer of energy uh, or of oil, that uh, we produce much more than we consume, and uh, that Russia uh, is only the third largest producer. So the United States is actually in a good situation. And I literally, I was scrolling. I saw it. I watched like two, three minutes of it. And I just had, I just had to keep, I was just like, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to leave this one alone. Yeah. I said, uh, I, I don't know if those numbers are right, but okay. Yeah, no, you don't need to engage in that. So the U.S. Uh, the U.S. is a massive energy producer. It's probably number two or three on the list. But the problem with us. Number one oil producer in the oh, world. Oh, producer. Yeah, yeah but the problem, oil we produce, we produce uh, a very light, sweet crude oil. Like we, the kind of crude oil that is significant, way too expensive and way too light and sweet to run your engine. You also need to mix it with like heavier sour crude oil that comes from like Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Canada, Mexico. And, you know, so we do import a tremendous amount of crude oil just as a function of like you need to find the right feedstock and the balance to, 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 to make cars and motors run. Well, we're just for the record, we're definitely a net importer of oil. Oh, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 Which was my whole thing, which was 
was like, what is going on here? Yeah. How, how are we telling this story that we're not a net importer of oil? Totally. Like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, are you changing anything in your portfolio because of all this? Yeah, so on, um, yeah, so we have some signals that, that, uh, that tell us like, I call them GTFO signals, get the fuck out signals, um, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> uh, it's just like, hey, you know, this is a time to start raising more cash and, and, and getting more defensive. You know, we were already f- pretty defensive, obviously. Uh, but, you know, we got raised some more cash and sold some more things. So, we, yeah, we, we made some sales. Uh, we bought a little bit more volatility, made a few short sales. So, you know, we're, we're positioned for a bear market. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to get a bear market every single trading day. I mean, any given headline can take the market up 2 3% on any given day in, in a bear market because that's what happens when, when stocks and when dealers are short gamma. That just means that, you know, they're, 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 they're constantly having to hedge in the direction of the market as opposed to countercyclically with the market you know, you're going to get these big realized volatility spikes and maybe they sometimes will last for a couple of weeks, even a couple of months, you know, going back to 08 in spring of 08 in particular. But that doesn't mean we're not in a bear market. You know, this is a bear market and investors need to be aware of that um, and, and, and treat it as such. Last question I have for you is nickel basically went through this massive short squeeze recently. Uh, it, the news came out this morning that the Chinese billionaire who owns this like big nickel company who supposedly was short and, you know, is taking on all these losses. Uh, the banks went to him and were like, Hey dude, you want to like uh, turn that trade off? And he, he said, no. Yeah. <laughs> and he said he wants to keep shorting nickel. Uh, is this idea of these like massive short squeezes uh, in various markets? I've saw it with the meme stocks. We yeah. see it with something like nickel. Mm-hmm. Like, is this just becoming more pervasive in the financial system in general? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons why. Well, one, I think people are actually actively targeting assets that have, um, you know, kind of the the, the the options dynamics that would perpetuate that. So deals being short gamma, you know, perpetuating call squeezes and all that kind of stuff. But I think what's also happening is that there's just a ton more options activity. The world is more financialized than it ever has been. Um, you know, I'm, uh, don't quote me on the stat, but I think I've heard this in passing. Like, we've quadrupled options activity. You looking at the U.S. equity market in particular, like quadrupled it or tripled it since like 2019. And that's a, I mean, that's a massive, 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 the underestimated um, kind of feature of markets because it's not just obviously U.S. equity markets. You can, I'm sure that's correlated to every other market, commodities, cryptocurrencies, things of that nature. And so there's just a lot more gamma out there and you, you, you create these bigger moves as a function of that. Um, you know, my man, uh, Jim Carson over at Kai Volatility has this word leptocurtic just means you just have like these fatter, crazier tails. Like, you know, you ha- the frequency of these fat tailed outcomes is much higher than it otherwise would be, much higher than a normal distribution would, would imply uh, because be- I think part of it is because of the, the, the growth of the derivative space. All right. You two got any more questions? No. Nah. Can, we, can we all take a guess real quick? Like, what? Let's put our bets in. March inflation number. Oh. What, what do you think it is? I guessed eight, by the way, yeah. for, uh, for okay. February. You know, Pop Boys Motors with their economic predictions. Uh, we were <laughs> off by 0.1%. It's not bad. It. It's not bad at all. Uh, what would uh, what would your guesses be? I'd go 8.5. Yeah, I was going to say higher. 8.5, uh, yeah. 8.5, Joe. Eight, Let's go. Well, eight, you got all day to think. I already got my number. Eight, I'm two. going 9.3. Oh, shit. Ooh, nine handle, huh? You went 8.2? Yeah, 8.3. Okay. 8.3. Eight, Eight three, all right. So we got eight five. I nine. was gonna do eight two eight three, but now that that's what the thing, I'll do eight point seven percent CPI. No. All right, so we got eight two to nine eight. two covered. Yeah. You're the only one in the nine. Yeah, outlier. Yeah, well, hey, listen, if you want to win, you got to go big. You know, well, nine or low. That's why, that's why I changed my answer. One percent, Bob. <laughs> 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 Amazing. The actual, the actual retail price of Mark CBI is 
One dollar. So, oh, you guys mean year over year. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I genuinely believe that if they do not manipulate the numbers, they're not going to be able to keep this shelter number down. It's 33% of the index. I don't think that the gasoline number, they're going to be able to keep that down. Yeah. Right? The oil price has exploded 20% or whatever. Uh, and I think that we're just in a, uh, a situation where uh, food is probably the actual, the one where I think people are going to miscalculate it or, or misanticipate the most, mm-hmm. where, you know, wheat production, let me just take that as one example, coming out of Ukraine and Russia, right? And how big of a portion of the food production uh, I think all those prices are going to spike materially. It already did spike materially in February. So it's yes. up 13% annualized in February. 13% in one month. <laughs> like you go to the store and you, you you buy a bunch of chicken and I don't know what people eat. What do people eat? I, I just eat like animal crackers all day, but like, you know, <laughs> chicken and, and, you know, and salad and all this stuff. And you go back two weeks later and it's like, you, oh man, that up, that went, that went up. You know, like I, I, my fiance, oh, 20% of our conversations is her complaining about our grocery bill. We're not poor, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, this is, it's, you, it's, you it's, want to know what I do for food there. now? What? I, I think that uh, we're going to hear a politician, like they said, you know, if you don't want to pay high gas fee, uh, prices, just get an electric vehicle. Oh, my God. I, I'm, telling, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we're going to see some moron. If you want to pay so much in food, then just eat two meals a day. Totally. Totally. Look at John. John's face is like, dude, please, yeah, for yeah. your reputation, oh, yeah. do not say that. <laughs> somebody somebody yeah. somewhere is going to say it, or they're going to be like, you know, intermittent fasting is actually no, really My bet is on AOC if I have the guess. My bet's on AOC. I'm telling you, well, this the is, studies show that you should only eat twice a day. Yeah, yeah. no, you should only eat 1,200 calories. The average American eats 3,500 calories. You should only eat 1,200. So, therefore, if you eat less calories, you won't pay a bigger grocery bill. The average American eats 35 minutes. I don't know what it is. Oh, I was going to say that's preposterous. No, it's like yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's average American. I'm probably uh, like 2,700. Uh, oh, shit. 3,600. 3, <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Y'all need to stop eating so much, man. What up, dog? I'm 285 pounds and I don't eat that much. That, yeah, that, <laughs> the average American, 3,600 calories. calories, a 24% increase from 1961. This is a public service announcement. Y'all need to stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> 3600 calories. Wow, dude. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and I think that I think the uh uh science says uh for longevity purposes 1200 calories. Yeah, the, of course. Uh, it's got to be desired. under 2. I thought 2 is like a, a happy medium. 2000 I think is the average American yeah. like that's the target. That's the 1200 target. is for optimizing for longevity. The average American eats 3600 calories. Yeah, I think people All right, the be- average American male weighs about 200 pounds still. That's Ooh. wild cuz the average person is probably 59. Yeah, yeah. The, a- the average weight is 180, but males are, you know, yeah. around 200. Females are around like 160. Yeah. Damn, 200, 160. Oh, we got more. Than, we got health crises, <laughs> All right. oil crises. Yeah. Real quick, yeah. do you have an eight sleep? Do you sleep in cold weather? Do you What's do you make mean? it cold? Yeah, I make it cold. Yeah. You, yeah, you like sleeping when it's cold. Yeah. Our, one of our sponsors is Eight Sleep. So that's my way of saying plugging eightsleep.com slash pomp. Go check them out. Oh, Obviously, well. the best way to sleep. It's thermoregulated. You can make it hot or cold on either side of the bed. Oh, this is a bed. It's a mattress. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I make it freezing cold and I sleep like a little baby. I make when it freezing Sophia cold. tries to uh, come and bug me, I say, hey, yeah, come over here. And then it's freezing and she's a little baby. She doesn't understand what's going on. So she jumps off and goes back to the other side where it's uh, warm. You, 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 yeah, Repellent. You, you're still young, my friend. You wait till you put the pillow in between so you know that it's like you stay on your side, I, I stay already, on my side. I already got that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't come over here. <laughs> I got to go before 30. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, where uh, where can we send people to uh, to find you on the internet and awesome. subscribe yeah. to the uh, service? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, 42 Macro D Dale, and uh, come check us out, 42macro.com. Obviously, put out a lot of research, help investors with portfolios, make sure we don't blow up in times like these. Awesome. It's a fresh Thank picture you. you got on the website. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Fresh, <laughs> fresh yeah. cut. I'm about to go get one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody earlier said your sunglasses make them want to move to Miami. There we go. Come on. Come on now. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> Miami is an intelligence test. We'll see if you make it here. All right. Thank you very much. All right, much boys. Thank you so much. See I'll see you next week, guys. There. All right. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.